Science and Wisdom Live is a project of Jamyang London Buddhist Center, a non-profit organization. Please consider supporting us with a donation to help us keep our podcasts and videos free and ad-free. To support us now, please visit our website at scienceandwisdomlive.com. episode is an excerpt of one of our Science and Wisdom Dialogues. To listen to the full recording, please follow the link in the podcast description. Usually what we do at the very beginning when we teach Cultivating Emotional Balance courses together, we start with a definition of the emotion and a discussion of the function of the emotion. So how would you define shame? Yeah, it's it's actually been a bit of an easier job since 2014. So that's when Brene Brown's uh, YouTube video kind of went viral. I think I received it at least a dozen times yeah, over the course too. of a month. And it was great because prior teaching cultivating emotional balance, <clears throat> shame was an emotion that people really struggled with, especially struggling to disambiguate between guilt or regret or overall feelings of anxiety and fear. And it certainly is an emotion that's well studied in developmental psychology, meaning our very early part of life, that point around four or five years old, when we start to recognize that others are thinking different than us, and we gain an ability to both have true empathy and shame. The simple definition that my dad, Dr. Paul Ekman, and a number of other psychologists rely upon is Shame is really a feeling that there's something fundamentally wrong about you, something that if it was discovered, people wouldn't like you, people might even feel disgusted by you. And with that, it's a real identification with this idea of what's wrong about us. So the simple distinction between that and guilt is I did something wrong. And I also don't want someone to find out. And I also don't feel that great, but there's a stronger identification when we're thinking about shame, not just I did something wrong and bad, but fundamentally I am wrong and bad. In terms of shame, you know, we often say that these emotions that are universal always have a function. So shame is such a difficult emotion to feel and so unwanted for us. It might be hard for us to relate to the fact that shame might have a function. So what, yeah, I'd love to talk about that a little bit. What's the function of shame? Yeah. And, you know, I think it's interesting, Brene, Brene is making the idea so relatable uh, and, and literally so relational. So how does shame interact with the thing we care about most in our life, which is, yeah, being with others and how to achieve that. So when we think of shame and we also think of guilt and we also think of empathy, these are what are called self-conscious emotions. So I can be angry at, um, you know, this mug of water. If it's spilled, I'd be like, oh, why did you? But with shame, it's really related. So that's an emotion we can, anger, we can feel towards anything. But an emotion like shame and guilt and empathy implicitly and explicitly involve another person and involve our experience of how do we relate to our tribe? How does our tribe relate to us? And the function or utility is how do we keep our social tribes coherent? Mm-hmm. How do we make people feel, if, you know, in this very unfortunate way that we live in North America and across many parts of the world, we incarcerate people when they do wrong. Mm. 
we put them somewhere else and we lock them up. Not a possibility when we rely upon every member of our tribe to survive. So then what do we do? Well, we kind of psychologically imprison them. We make them feel bad by shaming them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. However, in our enormously individualized society and context in, in most of the modern world, that shame is something we hold alone and that we're not able to reintegrate in that communal way that historically, my guess, looking at our indigenous tribes that are still um, kind of showing us the way that we all used to live, that there is this kind of group shaming and then group reintegrating. So there's a a psychotherapist and compassion teacher, Paul Gilbert, who's written a lot of books, and I love his work. And right after, actually last year, right after the beginning of the pandemic, he released this whole series of videos that he was trying to help people manage, you know, what was going on and increase their compassion, increase their self-compassion, this beautiful series that he made freely available and in one of them, he he was explaining what he called the evolution of self-criticism. And it feels like it relates to what you just said. Self-criticism evolved to determine our place in the hierarchy to avoid shame attacks from others, right? So like you were just saying, our tribal past where we only related to maybe you know, they estimate 100 or 150 people in our lifetime, like we had this kind of closed system. Our our self-monitoring, really, of where are we in that hierarchy, and then you figured it out, and you didn't have to do it constantly. But for us now, we're having to do it all the time because we're in these complex social situations. So what started as adaptive and functional now is on overdrive. You know, this over... Um, developed sense of self-monitoring. Who am I in relation to this? Who am I in relation to that? Are they better? Are they worse? Are they the same? Right? And that constant um, evaluation, which, you know, we will, I'm sure get into soon, Tenzin, but that's really related also to contempt. Um, And what Paul Gilbert also talks about is our underdeveloped drive, which is self-soothing. So we're very good at monitoring and criticism, and yet our our capacity to self-soothe has been deeply compromised. You say um, guilt can be a productive moral emotion, and and you say it sounds kind of weird, but what we try and do is move people from shame to guilt as a road to repair. And I'd love for you to say more about, you know, because sometimes we think, wait a minute, we want to move people to guilt? That seems weird. But moving from shame to guilt is a more productive moral emotion and a way to repair. Many people experience shame from addiction, from prior Mm -hmm. abuse, uh, from behaviors that they believe were abusive or harmful to others. And so wanting to honor that, I'm not talking about that in this moment, um, because here we are, it's uh, it's a little early in the day for that for us. And (laughs) we're going to get there in another question or two. So and, you know, given, given the online context of training and teaching, we recognize that shame is hard for folks mm-hmm. and we don't want you to kind of peel open the deepest layers while not being held in, in true live community. Yeah. Um, so with that caveat, like how do we move people towards guilt from shame is honestly increasing our self-awareness and our insight. So when we feel completely plagued by shame, even if we are and have uh, committed an act that is harmful, that has hurt others, 
even if we are acting in ways that is harmful towards ourselves through addiction. Fusing that with who mm. we are ignores our basic goodness, right? Mm. And this is where Buddhism and psychology so beautifully um, can support one another. Because psychologically, I can tell you why none of that is true. But through the cultivation of knowing our inner goodness, that is actually the way we can start to meet those feelings and transform them. Because the knowledge only gets you so far, right? It's important and useful to identify. And yet we need to have that felt experience kind of forging the inner pathways as um, my teacher, Jennifer Wellwood, talks about a lot so that we can face that. Yeah, one thing you, you mentioned just now was, you know, kind of getting into trauma. And I know we've both been engaging in the work of Resma Menachem. And in fact, you did this brilliant interview in the in the kind of 20th anniversary of the Mind and Life Destructive Emotions series that was just amazing. And in his work, he really focuses on the somatic experience of trauma, specifically of racialized trauma. And, you know, for me, when I think of his work that I've been engaging in, I think there's a strong somatic component to shame that might relate also to trauma. John Wellwood, who coined the term spiritual bypass, one of the other terms he uses is premature transcendence. Ah, nice. Wow. And there's a a lot of that, right? It's like, I'm just going to go up and out to that place where it's nice (laughs) and and not learn to tolerate um, somatically the challenge. And one thing, Resma Menachem, who does work on somatic abolitionism, meaning how do we manage a lot of the shame, a lot of the guilt, a lot of the discomfort of recognizing um, what we, many of us, um, well, let's just say most white folks um, living anywhere that isn't completely uh, white, so everywhere Mm. and anyone, are inadvertently creating harm. Mm. And we hear that. And, Mm. you know, for some of you on the call, you might be have been doing this work for a while and it's a bit more familiar. But when that is especially first kind of made clear, Mm. I think that there is a somatic experience of either wanting to run away or to fight depending on your your specific strategy of choice. And what Resma encourages us is not to stop feeling that way, but how do we metabolize that pain in the body, mm. not in the mind? Because we're so conceptually oriented of, well, I'm going to you know combat racism by donating money to great causes. Awesome. I'm going to um, really become aware of maybe implicit biases. Awesome. And what he emphasizes and is true from what we know of literature on um, embodied emotional awareness or interoception is we also need to learn how to sit with the discomfort. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we're going to be inadvertently perpetuating it by trying to escape from it. It reminds me of a a program that I used to do with um, people experiencing incarceration, and it was a year-long anger management, violence prevention program. And a big part of that program was exactly what you're talking about, like teaching people ways to just be with all of their experience. In that class we did, it was amazing. It was about 26 men. It was in a men's prison, all of whom, you know, we did these sort of surveys at the beginning as we were starting the work. And all of them had experienced sexual, physical, 
100% emotional assaults as children, like so much trauma from childhood, you know, so much shame about the offense that had gotten them into prison. And, you know, realizing too, this connection between, I think, trauma and shame and other emotions too. And you and I have talked about sometimes shame is fundamental. And then there's a lot of acting out that comes out of shame, like anger and violence that come from shame. And then of course, we can feel shame about other emotions that we have. So the anger can be first, and then we feel shame about being angry or the other way around. And yeah, any insights into shame is either kind of a, a more fundamental emotion or a secondary emotion? You're not wrong, but there's more. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, emotions are temporary. Emotions are, are triggered in a 25th of a second and last usually no longer than 30 seconds, sometimes 90 seconds. Most of us experience shame as something that feels very ongoing. So we are mm. consistently re-triggering. And that we're getting actually more into the territory of, you know, habits and beliefs mm. uh, as opposed to emotions. Emotions really are these, it's like the fruit um, of, of that thinking, of that limited self-view. And so I think, again, of self-criticism, that's, that's really the territory. Uh, if that is where we're always landing as kind of a cognitive, ruminative cycle, a lot of shame is going to manifest. Yeah, so I think working with those underlying, especially self-limiting beliefs um, is so, so fundamental. 